Hi, everyone, and welcome to the PBN Podcast. This week, we're going to be talking about our sponsor, Newzest. We're going to try things a little bit differently this week, and we've got a special guest in the podcast studio, founder and co-director of Plum-Based News, Mr. Klaus Mitchell. How's it going, Klaus? Really good, Robbie. Great to be here. So what a lot of people don't realize is that many of the products and services that we promote on Plum-Based News are things that we actually use ourselves. This week's podcast is kindly supported by our friends over at Newzest, and I know that you've been using it for a while. I've been using it, but what do you think of it, Klaus? I think it's great. I think I started using it when I saw it in Whole Foods. I bought a tub and then I put it in with, uh, it was a strawberry flavor I put in with my berry smoothie. Um, and that was over six months ago. And uh, now I've got to know the team at Newzest, Jonathan and the crew. Great mission, great company, tastes great, and I'd highly recommend it. So this product is made from golden peas grown in the south of France, an incredibly environmentally friendly crop. It is also sold in 100% recycled plastic tubs as well, so you can recycle the whole thing. Please check out newsest.us forward slash PBN20 to get 20% off your first order. I think the community will continue to grow. I think we will continue to see more people adopt some form of plant-based diet. There's different definitions of plant-based diets, but I do see more people reducing their meat consumption, even more public figures doing that. And the more public figures do that, the more influences they have on their fans and their community. We do sadly live in a very celebrity-driven culture of the world where we do need some of these public figures to be more direct about it. You, you want this to be a sprint because it needs to be a sprint due to what's happening to the environment. This week we meet Dominic Thompson. He's a vegan bodybuilder, an Ironman triathlete, an animal rights advocate, and a social entrepreneur who began documenting his meat-free lifestyle on social media in 2012 in an effort to turn the traditional perception of masculinity on its head. Dominic first adopted a vegetarian diet during a three-year stint in prison for dealing drugs. He soon realized that the animals that people ate were also confined like him, yet they had done nothing wrong. After being released from prison in 2005, Dominic found a career as a traveling healthcare executive while managing a complete 100-mile bike ride and also went on to compete 10 triathlons in that year. On New Year's Day 2019, Dominic launched Eat What Elephants Eat, a nutrition and wellness program that helps others embrace veganism with individual meal plans, recipes, tips and tricks. Dominic's social media platforms and business ventures continue to grow whilst producing some of the most inspiring and powerfully persuasive content to hundreds of thousands of followers. As always, if you like this episode, please don't forget to comment, like, and share. If you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. It really helps get the message out there. Let's get to the episode. Thanks so much for joining us on the PBN Podcast. What a pleasure, my friend, to finally sit down with you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate it. It's always a good time to catch up with you, my friend. I got a chance to really study the history of the dairy industry and also the, what it was doing. And I decided to go vegan all the way and end up going to doing Ironman. I do Ironman, triathlons. I do, uh, my background includes powerlifting, triathlons, marathons, ultras, and more. I started posting my content when Instagram first came out online. And I started educating people through the caption about animal rights and agriculture. And my account ended up, at that time, was the largest vegan male account in the world. And I also got interest from NPR News, APC News, and I started being honest about how I felt about human rights and animal rights. Before we get started, I always like to ask my guests their vegan story. How did you discover veganism or eating plant-based? Where did it all begin for you? Sure. I stopped eating meat 21 years ago, a little bit over 21 years ago in federal prison when I was serving time. I was there myself. My 
former lifestyle. Uh, I used to be into the streets. Uh, I used to sell drugs. I was a drug dealer uh, in Chicago. And that old lifestyle caught up with me and landed me in federal prison. And it was there that I decided to uh, make a connection to uh, a lot of different things that what people know me for today really started in that cell um, block specifically. Uh, And when I say that is because we, as individuals, we are so busy with our lives and we get so uh, distracted by devices and and more and, and social media that we tend to think we know ourselves, but it was there that I was able able to really be silenced and not have any distractions whatsoever and really come to learn myself and really think critical about everything involved in life itself or what we call life here uh, specifically. Sure, I was there for some consequences based off uh, my actions. That was the consequence based off my action. But me being in that cell brought back a lot of memories. And the first memory that really came, because I was just trying to figure out the why I was there. And I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, but I I did pray and I did open up my thoughts to the universe and, and really did some searching there in that cell and everything pointed to a childhood memory. When I was uh, eight years old, my mother would feed us chicken wings and I would push back. I was always a picky, finicky eater. But that memory of me pushing back the chicken wings and telling her I no longer want those because I looked at them as little bitty arms. And that was the day I stopped eating chicken wings. And that memory recircled there in my cell. So right then and there, I decided to, it was just like a, a light bulb moment to really make a deeper connection. And I created a mantra that if it requires harm, then all, I decided not to no longer contribute or be a part of any type of systems that destroy any type of animals or do any type of harm to human animals or uh, non-human animals. And that was 21 years ago. I stopped eating meat in, in prison. That's an amazing story, Dom. And like, it's such a an incredible thing that someone who was obviously you know suffering so deeply in himself and also had come from what was probably quite a violent and aggressive environment right where you had to be quite a strong physically strong mentally emotionally strong person to survive what you had to endure you know having to to sort of resort to crime like why do you think compared to you know your peers or anyone else that you knew at the time why do you think how what was different about you that made you this that helped you make that switch you know what was it about that that moment that you know as a child because obviously i had similar questions myself you know what makes us different to other people i say this all the time um, when i communicate with people there's close to 8 billion people in this world literally with waking up every day with 8 billion different ideas and points of views and we all are wired differently. That's what makes diversity and humanity itself so beautiful and special. But I am wired. I am engineered and truly rooted in compassion. Uh, and it started with me when I was a kid with the chicken wings, new and right then and there. It's not like I've seen some documentary or anything like that. We didn't have social media or the books or influencers back then. Uh, it was just uh, an intuitive connection to what the hell is this? And I didn't want that. As well as me, I would break up dog fights in my neighborhood and more. Uh, I come from very humble beginnings. And even seeing my first murder at the age of five, this guy brains blown out within my sight, it really triggered the empath. I, I knew right then and there, I, I felt that energy. I felt just the violence and, and, and 
everything surrounding from destruction and just evil uh, that I wanted to be as far away from that as possible. Now, granted, I did serve time, but it wasn't for petty crime or it wasn't for a violent crime. It was for basically what we used to call back in the day, making a nickel out of something or making nothing out of something, basically uh, self-made and, and, and producing and selling kilos of cocaine. So, uh, and it was a nonviolent crime, not saying it was justified or anything like that, but it was just a different type of thing I was doing because I was a part of that environment where that was something that, uh, like Jay-Z said in one of his songs, men have to do men things for men's salary. That was the mentality of a young black man for me growing up in the 80s and 90s. And there was potholes I simply had to run through and, and also routes that I simply couldn't avoid. Uh, to get me to this point today, even talking to you guys. Uh, so I was always wired in compassion and always uh, would do my best to break up fights from humans and non-humans and always cared about animals, generally always cared generally about people. Uh, I was a nice drug dealer, if that makes sense. <laughs> I mean, granted, if you, uh, if you cross me, that was a different situation, but Honestly, I've I just always been wired uh, to really, truly be this empath, and it just amplified itself once I got to prison. Uh, there's a term for it, a hypersensitive. Um, I definitely consider myself a hypersensitive, and I think that as men, you know, people, you know, hu human men, we're kind of taught in a culture that men should behave and act and live in a certain way, and it does create this sort of like toxic culture where men have these expectations placed upon them, where it creates these impossible ideals. And when there are uh, young boys such as yourself, when you were a child who were sensitive, you don't get an opportunity to flourish and blossom into the person you you wanted to be you obviously are that man now but through the culture and the lifestyle that you were you kind of were born into you didn't get an opportunity to be the kind sensitive compassionate person that you were in it to its full capacity and you know you've often you've mentioned you talked about comparing being incarcerated with the way farmed animals have been incarcerated and you know except obviously prisoners don't go off to slaughter and are not injected with hormones and you know aren't seen as food but you, know, you came out of that experience with a, a lot of strength and wisdom and you know you, you your compassion in a way kind of blossomed you know, how do you feel when you look back uh, at that time in your life and, and, and who you are in comparison to where you are now? Yeah, it, you know, it is a, it, it's, it's not entirely a fair comparison to uh, animals, but it is enough for me to have a different point of view from what probably the average consumer or human being that did not experience being designated as property uh, is like we were considered property of the government, literally, and, and there are documentation of your property of the uh, U.S. government when you serve federal time. State time is different, uh, but I was serving federal time and anyone that's listening, that's the most serious, uh, uh, highest type of crime jurisdiction or situation Can, just, you uh, just when you were saying about not to interrupt you dom you talk about property of the state that's quite interesting i've yeah. never heard that before so can you just explain that a little bit is that so is, when you say that literally you mean that literally yeah so when you serve time here in the u.s or you commit a crime you become property of that uh, rendering that, that entity have you want to define that entity whether we're talking county state we talk about the judicial branches and more just that system that's been created to house 
it was, was multiple, multiple systems. So you have the prison system, which is a multi-billion dollar complex business entity that has contractual uh, relationships with the government and local governments and more. So it's a lot of moving parts there. But you, once you're convicted, especially at the federal level, you become property of the U.S. government in terms of it's almost like a tender um, uh, rendered uh, specifically. I don't know the exact legal term that they use once the documentation is signed from your uh, conviction, but you do legally become what's designated as property of the uh U.S. government, when you serve in federal time, if you serve in state time, you become property of that state. So if you committed a crime in Illinois, you'll be property of the state of Illinois Department of Corrections. Or if you committed federal, you'll be a property of what's called BOP, a Bureau of Prisons Systems. So you're their responsibility, you're their liability, and you are told what to do. You are stripped down, naked. You're, I mean, they do some, the most, some of the most um, inhumane things that, well, what some people consider inhumane. Because you have people that are very conservative that are, don't care if you if you committed a crime, you deserve to go through these different conditions. But most uh, progressive, smart people know that people make mistakes and not every crime should be viewed as a hard consequence. You know what I mean? Like someone made, I made a mistake and we had a lot of innocent people look at what's happening now too with the marijuana business, uh, specifically where you have now more states here in the US that have socially accepted and legalized marijuana, but you have majority of African-Americans serving time because they used to sell marijuana and it was illegal at the time. And their sentences have not been commuted or forgiven. And so, I mean, so that's a whole different discussion in terms of that, because these are laws that are biased to really penalize certain groups of uh, people that come from marginalized community, including the Rockefeller laws um, and more that even uh, Joe Biden was part of some of those, being one of the original architects of some of these laws that simply helped contribute to uh, locking up a, a large percentage of young black men, including those that may have gotten caught with selling what's called crack cocaine. And that's viewed as a more severe drug in comparison to where it comes from, which is powder cocaine. And everybody knows powder cocaine is just more potent. But you you, you usually uh, socially find powder cocaine in more privileged um, lifestyles or people with a different demographics that have, uh, let's just say most, whether it be working professionals or rich people, versus crack cocaine is like a poor man's version of cocaine. And you find that more in marginalized communities and poor communities, but you get penalized with stiffer laws, sentencing guidelines that can put you away for life for a small amount in comparison to powder cocaine specifically. It's fascinating. And, and <clears throat> one of the kind of documentaries I watched a few years ago, um, and not documentaries, TV shows, was Orange is the New Black, which is obviously uh, what was considered a dark comedy or black comedy, as we might call it, which not black as in the ethnicity, black as in like, you know, it is, there are, there's comedy aspects to it, but it also has a very serious nature to it. Smile. I wasn't ready. Tough shit. It's just like the Hamptons, only fucking horrible. <laughs> You're leaving a body bag. Just getting started, bitch. Hey, go sit there. She's a nice white lady. We look out for our own. Our own? I'll take good care of you. I have a prison wife. What? Her name is Crazy Eyes. Did she rape you? No, she didn't rape me. But she held my hand. Chocolate and vanilla swirl. Oh, you look great. Your face is like all... 
cheekbones. He's starving you out. What? I had no idea that in the USA that um, prisons were privatized, that across the USA, most of the prisons run as private organizations, corporations for profit. And for them to be profitable, they need to, need to have a 98% capacity ratio. They have to be filled to make a profit. It absolutely blew my mind. I actually had to check that this, these ideas and these, this, this knowledge that was being communicated to me through this fictional TV show was actually reality. And when I started to learn about it, I was absolutely horrified. I could not believe that in, in, in the 21st century, that in, in one of the most powerful countries in the world, there are prisons that are being filled predominantly with young black men um, and are operating at profit. And essentially it's legalized slavery. Because, you know, people are, you know, obviously being paid in quotes, but it's like min less than minimum wage. They obviously are being often dehumanized, as you as you pointed out. And obviously also not given fair trial as well. There's so many stories of young black men who are innocent uh, or have committed petty crimes, but have been treated with the full weight of the yeah. law. Like you say, like crimes are all the sentencing very, guidelines. Yeah, yeah, and all very, very different. Yep. How do you obviously be coming out of that system and you know, and to sort of continue on the subject of of you know incarceration? Like, how do you feel about the way the system is? Does it anger you? Do you feel sort of like you know? What is your sort of like? How do you feel about the whole system? Because it's a pretty, it's a bit pretty monstrous. Yeah, it it, it truly angers me. Uh, I'm, I, I, it's things I have done. It's things more things I want to do and get involved in as I continue to uh, go through my own journey in life to get in positions of privilege where I can do more with my platform and my influence. Uh, you know, we're getting there. I'm, you know, but. As I continue to become more influential, there's more I want to get involved in at many levels. And it really upsets me now more so more than ever with the marijuana uh, being legalized almost. We're, we're very close to here in the U.S. marijuana being legalized as a country. With that being said, we have a lot of states, though, now from California all the way to New York, coast to coast now, officially, wh where we have these states on both coasts that are legalized. And here it is that these venture capitalists, uh, these small entrepreneurs, large entrepreneurs, these corporations, everyone has now gotten into this green rush of business of selling marijuana and growing it. Uh, and then you still have majority of those that are still serving time for when they were selling marijuana, which is specifically uh, young black men. So it angers me that less than 1% of your entrepreneurs that are involved with these dispensaries that run true marijuana businesses is uh, African-American. And the other 99 or 98% are all uh, white, uh, majority white men with big backings from, from VCs. So it's, it's really disappointing. And it shows you just how biased and how unfair of a society that we live in. In terms of me, I wouldn't change what happened to me for the world because it truly made me a better person. It's not because they gave me tools that I need to rehabilitate. I took that initiative. I'm a self-starter. And that was my first time ever being touched by the law. And it was my last time. And I haven't looked back. So I don't regret that. Uh, it just made me a better person. Thank you for sharing that. So right then and there, I denounced everything. And I created this mantra for myself that if it requires harm, then all. And that included not going back into my community to sell drugs. And I also included not contributing to a multi-billion dollar industry that was destroying over 50 billion plus animals per year. 
Uh, and that was 18 years ago. And I went from weighing about two, I was close to 260 pounds when I entered the system. And within, not even, within four, four weeks, uh, between four to eight weeks, I got all the way down to like a solid 200. At the lowest, I got down to 190. And I became one of the strongest men in, in my, you know, on my, uh, my prison facility. We had about 1,500, 1,200 to 1,500 inmates, and we would have what's called liftoffs and I was in the top 10. Again, I didn't go plant-based for health. I just didn't want to have anything to do with any type of destruction of any type of life form. I did it for not only myself, but the animals. People would look at me and they go that crazy and they go that weirdo that doesn't eat meat because I would trade my meat protein uh, with the carbs with my cellies and my cellmates. They were, line up, they give me all their pasta, their potatoes. I ate a lot of complex and simple carbs. I strongly feel like me going down this pathway and not uh, contributing to this industry truly uh, had karma help me out, kind of turn my life around. I went from 180 all the way around where I was getting opportunities after opportunities. So throughout the time that you've been meat-free uh, and you're and practicing your do-no-harm lifestyle uh, on social media almost a decade ago, how has your approach changed in time? You know, how have you found, have you found it easier to get the message across with veganism as time's gone on? Hmm. Tell us a bit about how your message and how you've been using kind of veganism to communicate how it's evolved. The beautiful thing is just like you all are aware with your large platform and, and minds, we, we can look back historically how people truly viewed us as crazy and weirdos. <laughs> Where being a vegan, especially a vegan guy, no matter your sexuality, uh, you can probably speak for that. It doesn't matter. Just being a vegan male in general was viewed, no matter your background, ethnicity or nothing, it's just viewed as like a, huh, like a, just like untraditional uh, and very, and for some intriguing and more, but it's been a beautiful thing to see this community really, really grow where you have vegans now have prior to social media. Let's just be honest. Uh, veganism was always alive and thriving. And eating people that ate plant-based was in a lot of different communities, especially communities of color. It's just that it wasn't commercialized or it wasn't celebrated. And they just didn't have the platforms like the plant-based news of the world or the, any other platforms that are highlighting people of color showing like, hey, look at this person that is vegan or plant-based specifically. Historically, the media just, like with any industry, would usually use as a role model uh, someone white. And that's just the honest truth. Um, but now we see that we come in all shapes, sizes, and colors. And we have been for the longest. And I think it's a beautiful thing to see more inclusivity that's been happening in our community because uh, we need it more now than ever if we want to get more people to take a look at this kind lifestyle it's important for us to uh, highlight more people that come from all parts of life and all backgrounds and all cultures specifically so they can know that it's just not a white thing that some people think it is even in my community some people think it's that that are not plant-based specifically you you can interview someone or run into someone randomly and tell them you're vegan. They have historically some people, not all, but may associate it as, like I said, quote, a white thing is what they would say it as. And it's not, you know, at all. It's very inclusive. 
How is that? That being though, being a, an African American man and, and coming from a um, a culture that is very meat heavy, you know, African American food culture is very heavy, especially on the sort of fried foods and things like that. Which we'll talk about health in a bit. But eating, it's not just African American culture. It's the same here in the UK amongst you know middle class white people and even upper class white people. Eating meat is associated with upward mobility. It's associated with wealth. It's associated with having money, and you know, not eating meat and shunning meat is actually seen even in the UK and also in the US, I'm sure, is what people without money do. So if you don't eat meat, you're seen as poor or lower classes or working classes. It's always a struggle talking to people about culture and food culture because there's always that judgment that comes back. Why are you coming here with your food cult, your, your culture, your vegan culture, forcing it down my throat? Then you, let, you add race on top of that, you know, the disparities between race. As an African-American man speaking to friends or family, have you had, you know, how much have you had that, well, isn't that a white thing? Isn't that a white vegan? Isn't that a white middle class thing? You know, why are you doing it? How have you addressed that? Like, how have you kind of got past that? Yeah, it it is still to this day that stereotype can still exist within those micro pockets of communities for sure, without a doubt. Uh, But to me, it's just an educational issue. It's just a person that may think of that stereotype and may be not knowledgeable about that. It, it just needs to be uh, educated in, in a form of um, as a best practice, like an in-service too. You can uh, have a mini in-service with this person or have a mini discussion, uh, healthy, uh, very kind and very empathetic discussion with that person to let them know that it's not a white thing. It's not a, a person that has money thing. Because you're right, we do live in a time in a day and age in society where there is a lot of sensitive people, and rightfully so. They're you know, not dismissing the sensitivities out there that need to be in place. But in general, we do have to be careful when we are talking about meat and its association with certain cultures, because people are still not willing to break tradition or break away from tradition. And tradition is actually what got us in what we into today, which is a lot of problems with the environment and the world and the earth. And those traditions need to be broken. Sorry, grandma's uh, gumbo and and dad's Italian recipe, whatever whatever your cultural background is and family recipe, some things just need to be um, dismantled and some things are simply outdated. Luckily for me, uh, with my own family and friends, I have always been viewed as a no-nonsense guy. So when I say something and I do something, people tend to follow or they know that I'm being genuine. Like I'm not one of those wishy-washy type of people that try to do something and don't finish and execute. When I commit, I commit. And so I never had that pushback, at least from within my circle of family and friends, because they know if Dominic is doing something, Dominic is living his truth. It's the sincerity and the honesty, I think, when we have that trust and friendship with our family. Integrity, too. You're right. Integrity, exactly. And I think it takes time to build that trust with people. And I think when you have those strong bonds with people, you're more likely to win them over, uh, especially if you come from a place of compassion and understanding. There is a tendency in the vegan community globally, and I see it everywhere in every culture, is just judgment, is to look at other people and judge them. It happens from an ideological perspective where people have different belief systems, and because of social media, people are very um, quick to attack each other without just sitting down and having a conversation. You go back to the old days before social media. People may have seen each other at the pub or in the park, you know, maybe sat on a park bench, had a bit of a heated discussion, but then parted as friends. 
because you know they they had that body language they had the connection that soul connection between two people but now because of social media you are we are all of us are interacting with hundreds of if not thousands or sometimes millions of people simultaneously and it's so easy for people to become dehumanized you're just talking to pixels on a screen you're just talking to a comment section and that leads me on to my next question you know your social media platforms have become very popular you've had very successful uh, connections with whether it's celebrities or some of your comments have had thousands and thousands of likes you're very good at pointing uh, out things and and making a commentary on something and, and it being noticed and it's very effective but obviously with that comes criticism comes attack how do you deal with that like how do you deal with trolls etc you know how yeah the bullying and all of that and yeah uh, again that goes back to earlier saying how i'm wired uh some people may find that challenging to deal with the trolls and the bullies and you know it it can have an impact on your mental health luckily for me i don't experience those challenges where another human being that don't look like me but simply aesthetically is a mammal like me but breathes and drinks the same some of some of the same stuff that we all have access to in general i would not let ruin my day (laughs) uh, per se like People are entitled to their opinions, but the mental health is real because some people can't face and navigate through those trolls specifically. My upbringing, um, going back to be, like I said, seeing my first murder at the age of five, I kind of experienced a lot of trauma. And to me, in terms of dealing with, again, I'm only speaking for myself. This has nothing to do as a blanket statement for how people deal with their own uh, mental health and comments and trolls. But for me, Social media is is very, in terms of that part of social media where people may attack me, it does absolutely nothing for me in terms of like, I'm not afraid or intimidated and it has no impact on my mental health if someone wants to attack me specifically because I know who I am. I know I'm a man of integrity. I know I'm a man of truth. I know I'm an honest guy and I know I'm a human. Sure. Do I make mistakes? Absolutely. But it's no way I would let another human being ruin my day specifically. I think it would be a beautiful thing if more people can view their truths as that and speak into it. Uh, Because when you speak into things and you comment on things and you uh, really speak to what you believe in, more people, you'll be surprised no matter the size of your platform listens. And, And that's what we need, you know, more people to speak up about a lot of the injustices that's happening around the world specifically. You talked about um, witnessing a murder at age five, and I can imagine there have been other things that you've seen and or been involved in that have caused you trauma that you may still carry around. We all hold trauma to, to varying degrees. What are some of the things that you've done over the years to really help you release that trauma or be free of it? Because trauma can cause illness, depression, uh, misanthropy, um, and chronic illness. But what are some of the things that you've done that have kind of you know helped you be the man you are today? Yeah, that, that's a good question, Robbie. Uh, you know, in hindsight, it organically happened, meaning the things I've done have organically happened from me even jumping on Instagram because a friend of mine strongly recommended me jump on Instagram 10 years ago. And whenever it came out and I was like, what is this? And I did. And my platform organically grew at the time it, where back then, if you have 30 to 50,000 followers, that was blue viewed as 500,000 followers. And I was the only guy in that space. In fact, I had the largest vegan male account at the time. That's kind of how the community 
started really ascending me because they had now another person, another face, especially a man of color, a black man that simply did not hold back his punches and spoke his mind and his thoughts on animal agriculture. And so me just using social media, and again, it's a different social media today. Today is different uh, compared to when we all first started getting on it. It was a form of dealing with traumas because I just spoke my truths. I spoke about my experiences. I didn't suppress or hide anything uh, when it came to my own background and my story. One of the first more powerful podcasts I did was on Rich Rolls podcast. And that's when I went public, more public in a bigger platform about my origin story specifically. And it felt good. You know, it, it felt good. And again, this is not a blanket statement with no one, but for me to speak honestly about who I am and what I've been through is so therapeutic. It's so peaceful. You know, it helps. It really helps when you when you can just speak your 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 truth to the world, not caring what anyone thinks about you. So it helps for me specifically to have platforms and safe spaces like this. Well, it's it's public, so I don't know if you consider it safe, but you and my I, we have a safe relationship with each other. We have a really great friendship. I can speak this without feeling like I'm going to be judged specifically. And also too, running, biking, lifting heavy weights, all that stuff too is an amazing thing to do uh, when you are experiencing some trauma, stresses and challenges. And, and that's what works for me. Share your stories, move your body. That's the- <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, that's a great slogan. Yeah. Share, your, Share stories, your stories, move your body. Move your body, <laughs> Let, you know, be free of your trauma. It's such good advice. I think that, you know, we as people are holding on to so much. We live these very chaotic and hectic lives. And, you know, if we have suffered deeply as children, those painful moments, they do stick with us and they almost sort of live in our bodies and we feel them in our spines and our joints and our hips. And, you know, if you do carry that that suffering, that pain, it's it does uh, exhibit itself. And there's many studies to talk about how trauma is actually also passed down generationally, how through epigenetics, you can actually see that in the DNA that trauma can be held on by people and then passed to their children and I think this for me is the the epitome of what uh, what we call as Buddhists transforming karma because if you don't transform that karma which is perhaps you could say your trauma um, you pass it on you pass on that trauma to the next generation and um, it's very important to to transform our karma because if we don't transform it we always become stuck and we don't become the people we really want to be because in a way trauma is kind of like the sort of a negative force in our lives which kind of really holds us back from experiencing joy because if we are in a deep state of trauma you know how can we ever really experience joy and compassion and love Um, because you know trauma is obviously so synonymous with that deep and terrible suffering it's very important for me to highlight specifically uh, what this diet can do for you in terms of your health because it really can do a lot a lot of things and again I'm not just a walking testimony but there are so many people in this world that also walking testimonies Um, so for those of you out there that are not vegans um, you know I don't even think I'm gonna really dive into this speech I'm just gonna speak from the heart we're now at a critical stage where transparency is present everywhere from social media, uh, whether you're Instagram, Facebook, you name it. And those of you that have decided to take on this lifestyle, I, I first say thank you and I also ask that you too, just like I, as an activist, uh, ethical vegan, continue to educate if you haven't already 
people within your circle, uh, within your own community, whether it be your employer group, your colleagues, uh, your family, your loved ones, your significant other, continue to educate them about what exactly is happening to these animals because as I'm speaking right now, every minute goes by, animals are being slaughtered. They're being lined up one by one, screaming, squealing, crying, and just being slaughtered at, at crazy numbers. Uh, and close to, I believe, one million every 10 minutes. And that's a truly heartbreaking number. It's so wonderful to hear and obviously to see you expand your, you know, your work and doing all these incredible things. One of the fantastic things I love is that um, Eat What Elephants Eat, a nutrition company that you set up to help others discover how, being, how to go vegan. And one of the big things, though, in the lifestyle that people struggle with is this idea that it's so expensive that I can't do it. Do you want to talk a little bit about your philosophies around eating vegan, eating plant-based and, and actually how easy it is? I think people associate the fancy faux meats from Beyond and the Possible. Those brands are killing it on the market. Uh, they're very popular amongst not only vegans, but non-vegans. I wouldn't be surprised they, they start getting their own words put in a dictionary soon <laughs> if they're not already working on it. Uh, uh, or you type in a text message and Impossible comes up already as a suggestion. Uh, that's how powerful those brands are now. And, and, and people that are not very familiar with vegan foods and plant-based food associated with these faux meats that is viewed as being expensive, or they automatically assume it's being expensive. Sure, historically, those faux meats or what I call transitional products were expensive, but now they're even finally bringing down that price point, and rightfully so. They made so much money from the IPO, and, and in general, they Ethically, they should have, the price points for those faux meats uh, aforementioned should come down uh, because if they don't, now you you're in the space of capitalism, um, which probably already been from from day one. But I do appreciate those brands because they have me being an ethical vegan. I appreciate brands like that helping people transition. So you know you, you can see vegans always talking about that's highly processed and that's bad. Yeah, but. Yo, we need all the help and tools and weapons we need for these animals and, and also these communities, specific communities of color that experience um, environmental racism. When you buy certain meats, what it's doing to their culture, their community, their ecosystem, becoming the high, some of the highest demographics being admitted to hospital systems. So those are great transitional product. And you just continue to go down that, that rabbit hole and sure. They can be expensive like anything in the perimeter of the store, meat or vegan. It doesn't matter. When you go in that frozen section, you're going to be paying some money. Now, if you stay outside that per perimeter and, and stay more in a whole food plant-based area, for, such as veggies and fruits, those are not only more healthy for you, but they're more affordable for you specifically. And what we did with Eat What Elephants Eat. We're no longer viewed as like a nutritional company, but we're a food company. We're moving now into that space, uh, veganic farming and more where we're doing farm to the table, even with our superfoods, they will be coming truly from farm to the table where people can buy on our products, on our protein lines and more where they was truly uh, came from a veganic farm. We're working on that process specifically. We have over 10,000 members strong and growing because we made eating plant-based fun accessible and more importantly, affordable worldwide. Um, and, and also too, our third lines of services, our juice and smoothie bars are coming soon as well. And as well as our restaurant, 
Uh, so I'm really proud of this little company that's starting to really start to get its wings and grow because in the next two to five years, uh, if you haven't already heard of it, you will hear more of it. Uh, and we're here to continue to promote how eating whole food plant-based can be affordable and can be accessible, especially when you go through platforms and an onboarding process like us with Eat What Elephants Eat. We'll help get you to that next step. Okay, so we're eating the Eat What Elephants Eat. And we call it Eat Wheat. Eat Wheat. Yeah, we call, <laughs> we call Eat What Elephants Eat Eat Wheat for short. Okay, yeah. all right, so uh, I'm so excited. Take it away. Okay, cool, so we got, we got the kale, we got the tomatoes, we got the avocados, we got the lemons. Make sure you get you some pistachios. I usually like to buy organic pistachios whenever possible and I'll unshell it, but if you're on, on a quick fix, you can just always buy them unshelled, that's fine. Mm -hmm. We have uh, organic hemp seeds ready to go. We have the apple cider vinegar for the dressing that we're gonna make with the vegan mayo. Um, I usually, my preference is the Hellman's uh, vegan uh, mayo, it's pretty good, but Follow Your Heart is, is a good brand too as well, and I'm gonna show you how to prep that. How can people sign up to that? Is that a website or a group? Yeah, they can go directly to eatwhatelephantseat.com and it would take them through a onboarding process that can take less than five minutes where you we ask you some simple questions like, what do you already have in your kitchen? Uh, what is your lifestyle? Do you want to lose weight or you want to gain weight? Do you have five minutes for the kitchen or do you have 50 minutes for the kitchen? What are your allergies? You can remove up to 700 allergies. You cooking for two or one and, and, and more. So what tools do you have in your kitchen? Smoothies, juicers, and we'll optimize an amazing meal plan program for you and your family to follow. Amazing. Sounds fantastic. Uh, if you're listening and you need some advice on how to cook or what to cook, please do go sign up. One of the most popular themes on your YouTube channel specifically is what I eat in the day. Showing people what to eat, how to eat is one of the best ways to really demonstrate how this lifestyle can be easy, of course, and also affordable, as you said. You know, what does your daily meals look like? Um, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy, but what, you know, some people are like, oh, I just eat oatmeal. But like, <laughs> you know, what are some of your top dishes that... You know, um, yeah. It's funny that you mentioned oatmeal. I am not a big fan of oatmeal. Well, I just started recently eating oatmeal again, uh, only because I ate so much oatmeal in prison. That was like my go-to oatmeal every day, oatmeal, bananas, and peanut butter, and apples, and raisins. That was like my combination for those years, not months, but years I spent in prison. It was like kryptonite to me after that. When I got out of prison, I was like, I don't want to see another oat in my life. <laughs> So I just started getting back into it. And oatmeal is amazing. Like, listen, if you're ever on a, seriously, if you guys are ever on a budget and you want to eat healthy and need to fill something up with your your, your stomach, and oatmeal is probably one of the most manageable uh, forms of uh, food groups that you can really enhance in a lot of good ways. But my go-to, being in a, a very busy lifestyle, fast pace, I, I'm a just big smoothie head. I love my smoothies. I do smoothies almost three times a day and also big fan of vegan bowls that I make from the Eat Well Elephants Eat uh, website. We have some amazing quick, fast recipes, but I love just having a, a bowl of leafy greens that consists of the different strands of kale and, and spinach and, and more. Uh, and I grow my own plants. Uh, I have my own little uh, mini garden that I grow uh, some stuff on and grow my own kale. And I, I love just to eat 
these bowls because it takes me less than 10 minutes to make these bowls. I, I always prep my dressings for the bowl on weekends, which is pretty easy to do. And smoothies is, is a no-brainer. Smoothies are very easy, and you get so much nutrients and, and protein in those smoothies specifically. So those are like my go-to. Sounds delicious. I'm going to be looking through your website for recipes. Uh, yeah, especially the bowls. I'm a big fan of a, a Buddha bowl, which obviously I think is what you're referring to. It's a mix of different things in a bowl, black beans and kale. Yeah, I call it the eat what elephants eat bowl. I don't call it yeah. the Buddha bowl. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't actually know the definition of a Buddha bowl. I guess that's uh, probably popularized by bougie white vegan girls in in, 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 Bali, in, in LA in or California. In Bali. Yeah. Yeah, living in Bali or LA for sure. <laughs> yeah. So my next question really is regarding managing time. You obviously wear many different hats. You know, you you speak out for human and animal rights. You know, you're a business owner and entrepreneur. There's a lot of things to, to deal with on a daily basis. How do you avoid burning yourself out? Again, that's another good question. Uh, it, what really helps me is to go jump on a treadmill uh, to run a minimum of three miles uh, to really get break that sweat and to take my head away from the chaos of the world and what's happening. Obviously, social media can be an impact on people burning out and seeing it. Because it's like once once you resolve and address one issue that's happening in life and you bring an awareness to, then something else always happens. And not only in the form of animal abuse and, and, and more, but also what's happening to our human animals. It's a lot of pain and suffering happening out here. And so it's so easy for you to burn out emotionally from just those traumas and seeing your fellow humans go through so much shit right now in many capacities. And you, you just have to kind of come to terms with yourself to realize there's only so much you can do. Same thing in working in, as a working professional or an entrepreneur. You just do all you can and you execute as much as you can, but don't take that shit to bed with you. Like, you know what I mean? Like find the time to have your own personal space where it'd be just sitting on your couch eating some cashew cheese with uh, some vegan cheese crackers and watching a good Netflix movie or eating a, a bowl of vegan ice cream or even out hanging out on your patio having a good cider um, with friends and loved ones or having a good drink of tequila or going for a run with your dog. You got to find time to real for yourself too because you only got one shot in this life. And yeah, I, I wish I had the ability of Superman or greater just to snap my fingers and correct all the wrongs of the world. But that's just not the reality. And you have to take care of yourself and your mental health, because if you don't, life is not fun. It's good advice. And that was actually leading to my next question. As you mentioned, so social media and, you know, this, the episode before this will be our dear friend EA, who's also on the podcast as well. Uh, so yeah. EA and I talked about uh, social justice uh, through social media and how we as advocates for human rights and animal rights, we have this window where we look through on a daily basis and we see so much injustice, whether it's what's going on between the Palestinians and the Israelis, what's happening with trans men and women in South America being murdered, whether it's the horrific inequalities across, across South, South Africa or my home country of Zimbabwe with a lot of terrible poverty. I have empathy for other individuals who have been put down and marginalized by society. So I've always wanted to speak up against things that are happening against, you know, people who 
have disabilities and you know my dad you know him struggling with having a stroke and cancer and things like that like people who have disabilities is heavy on my mind you know what's happening in terms of like the anti-asian hate that spiked up because of the covid pandemic you know what's happening with you know transphobia and the fact that you know trans people have been excluded from sports like there are so many things going on in our society that sometimes it does you know start to become overwhelming but I've always been passionate about these issues because I know at the end of the day, if I want to be liberated as a black woman, I have to stand up for you know the other people who are marginalized and discriminated against in our society. So social justice, uh, to me, it just means you know being a compassionate individual, caring about these issues, and speaking up when you see an injustice happening anywhere in the world. Wherever you look, there is so much suffering. How do you avoid getting sucked into every injustice and feeling overwhelmed by it and incredibly depressed and misanthropic about it? And, you know, how do you stop yourself from doing that? Because obviously using social media on a daily basis, you see things. Things are sent to you. People send you messages and look at this and please share that. How do you switch off from that? Yeah, you're right. Your feed shows you so much, you know, whether it be a friend like you uh, or EA follow that's bringing up something that's important, but you just gotta, you gotta kind of come to terms that again, you're a human and there's only so much you can do. Like I said, we'll want nothing more than the world to address almost every issue and really believe me, wish I had a platform that was 300 million strong, like one of the Kardashians (laughs) where uh, I'll be causing disruptions by just even speaking about these things. Just speaking about these things can cause people to think. You know, it doesn't always involve physical action. It doesn't always involve money or resources. So when you see these things on your feed through social media, if it triggers you and you want to do something about it, you never never know if the 10 people that follow you or the 10,000 people that follow you, a small percentage of that may listen to a post that you make and it may impact change for them to view things or get involved as well or start maybe correcting their own behaviors related to some of these uh, systems that continue to oppress people, human animals and non-human animals. Um, so if you feel at the end of the day you did your best work, you should be able to sleep peacefully at night. Yeah. I think people take on far too much and social media is designed to is designed to trigger us. We know from the the leaks from from Facebook from the whistleblower that as a platform they know that making people angry is what drives engagement. It's what drives profit for the, them as a company. And so when you become aware of those emotions within yourself, why is this piece of content making me angry? Just be very mindful that Facebook wants you to feel anger. They want you as a platform. You know, it may sound incredibly insidious, but it has an economic value attached to it. When you feel an emotional response to a piece of content on social media and you engage with it, they are winning essentially. And ultimately the best way to engage is to sometimes not engage. But, you know, as you said, be mindful and pick your battles really and use your voice. If you want to speak out against things, it can be, we don't all have, as you say, a 300 million strong audience by Kim Kardashian, but maybe we've got 300 people that follow us and, you know, still connecting with 300 people by going into your stories and sharing your truth you will touch somebody and you will you'll have an effect and so i think sometimes we over identify with numbers and clicks and views and like oh i'm gonna you know there's no point in me doing anything because i'm not going to reach a million people but if you change your life talking about veganism say 
you know, or social justice, if you change the life of one person, that's incredible, right? You know, yeah, being, being I, too I, obsessed with numbers can be also incredibly damaging. Do you agree? Yeah, I, I totally agree because you just mentioned it with the Facebook leaks. That's real, people. And some people probably didn't see that piece of news, but that was pretty monumental in a lot of capacities that this one powerful platform, that's the biggest of them all, was manipulating their algorithms with a agenda and rooted in capitalism and more. And you guys got to understand, if anything, and we, we all been guilty of that, Like, but that goes to show you like, why are you seeing so much negative feeds or why you may be responding negative, negatively to things that you probably historically may have not been triggered by or might done anything about. It's, they have curved a lot of, or tried to condition and been successful in conditioning a lot of behaviors uh, across the world. And that's scary. That's very fucking scary. And that's very powerful for one entity to have uh, in their possession. Do you feel a sense of anxiety, though, you ha having to use these platforms to reach people? Because obviously they, are in a way, hold all the keys. We spend a lot of time and energy creating content, doing lives, making graphics, doing videos, and we build these audiences for them. And then they apply ads to the content that we have created and we don't get a dime. Do you ever do you ever feel that that the sort of you know it's unfair that, for yeah. sure historically yeah. I didn't I didn't feel like we had any right to tell a business you know uh, what to do with their brand we're using it but after years of experiencing this platform and what you just said is key realizing they wouldn't be nothing without us the user absolutely you, you know it's almost like this is a a community company. It should be a community. It, you know, these social media platforms should be community more owned and, and more. I, I'm not pro-government by any means, but things like this with regulations, breaking up some of these mm. companies. And, Regulation? Regu yeah. Centrally regulated, or do you mean regulated by the community? Both. We need, right. we just, they don't have anyone really policing them in, no. in the capacity. They're they doing very dangerous things that are not only harming an adult's but these these young children, these kids, and they know, that, and they know. Can you imagine growing up in this society with this pressure to be perfect and have at least a couple thousand of followers to add to your digital and physical resume uh, when you're applying for colleges or a job? Like they measure you now off of your your real estate, your social media real estate. And that's pretty sad. And it yeah. just got worse now that Mark Zuckerberg has announced that the company is now called Meta, which uh, made a joke earlier last week about it, that for 20 years, Mark Zuckerberg has been selling our metadata to advertisers. And now the company finally has a name that matches what it does, Meta. It's a future that is beyond any one company that will be made by all of us. We've built things that have brought people together in new ways. We've learned a lot from struggling with social issues and living under closed platforms. And now it is time to take everything that we have learned and help build the next chapter. I am dedicating our energy to this more than any other company in the world. And if this is the future that you want to see, then I hope that you will join us. Because the future is going to be beyond anything we can imagine. His vision of the future of the metaverse is actually this like digital version of ourselves, which 
in many ways, you can obviously see, you know, we are having a, a meta conversation over a meta universe, which is like this, this internet world we've never met in person, but we have formed a friendship and a relationship over time without being in, in, in each other's physical proximity. And that is the magic of human connection. And there are beautiful parts to social media. They can nourish us. They can nurture us. Social media could be a place of beautiful relationship building and, and uh, education and transformation. But actually what social media has become is become a tool for companies like Facebook to generate ridiculous amounts of money and to totally polarize society, whether it's, and we won't get into the nitty gritty or to the, get into the weeds of the subjects, but whether it's vaccines or COVID-19 or whether it's politics, whether it's left wing or right wing, whether it's, you know, liberalism or conservatism, there is, always this polarity which is being created and it's it's become a serious problem do you agree yeah i do agree um one thing you said that's really powerful is the fact that social media can be this beautiful tool that we all can use and these these platforms these companies can use to truly better humanity it's more powerful than currency and money uh, and, and if anything, we learned recently from being on lockdown is just how money isn't everything or as important to some of us. You know, some of us still got that hustle in us and want to make money and drive nice things and materialistic things. But a lot of us, you know, I've never been in, in recent years into that. I don't care about materialistic things. But a lot of us realize that family, friends and loved ones in our own health uh, mental sanity is more important and we have to change some things look what the people always talk talk badly about generation z and, and the young millenniums too as well but look what they're doing especially here in america challenging traditionally what the workforce should really look like like they're saying why are we working five days a week when we should be working three to four days a week we're making these companies all this money just to continue to be bloated with all this revenue this revenue is not doing anything to enhance their personal lives or even enhance anything in society. So I'm, I'm here for that. I love it. I love those progressives, people that are really championing and advocating for real radical change in that sense, from the job workforce to healthcare being a human right, to education being a human right, and fair wages, if not some forms of universal-based income, too, if we're going to continue to go through some lockdowns where people do need just the basic essentials uh, so I'm, I'm here for all of that social media can give us that as well the connectedness of these tools can give us the power to work from home to connect with each other to build friendships and businesses and that's the wonderful thing about the technologies and i do think uh, yeah i absolutely agree with you and everything you said that we we've got to try and find ways to make these companies community owned i think that will be the solution uh, whether they will give it give them up and allow them to become community owned i don't know but like every other form of media in the world it, it it has regulation and it should be regulated. Plant-based news is independently regulated. If we do something wrong, if we say something inaccurate or misleading, we are held accountable. We have to go through a process and we are uh, judged by that. And we obviously have to then publish, say, we made a mistake. This was incorrect. We've published it. Social networks don't have to do that because they disconnect themselves from the content. They say, you know, we're not publishers. We're just a platform. People put their content on there. But we could talk all day about social platforms. I want to 
move on on to other forms of media and i'd love to talk about you know and if we're allowed to talk about it your book you mentioned yeah, yeah. You, you mentioned that you are doing a yeah. book or you're launching a book so that's very exciting i love to very. hear about, no, about i appreciate that. that yeah i i just last week uh finalized my book deal my first major book deal with one of the big five largest publishers in the world um you, you can actually comfortably say they're number one in the world they're they're like a big deal, like huge, big deal. Uh, my book agent and I, I've been approached years and years to do books and stuff like that, but the timing was off to me and, but it was, it was finally right to do this. And this is why I kind of been silent on social media, really working on that book proposal, uh, which was like up to 90 pages of combination. If you know anything about book writing and book proposal, there's a process. It's almost like a pitch deck where you do a mutual interview. It's also like writing a screen for a big studio to produce a movie. Uh, so it's a lot of involved writing, creative writing, and marketing analysis and sample chapters and a lot involved uh, of, of the outlining of the book proposal. And I kid you not, the proposal got all publishers to respond. And I was getting ready to go into my fifth meeting with the fifth, uh, the number five of the big five, the publisher I decided to go with, which was the first one I interviewed with. Great team, great amazing team of uh, editors and their PR. They had a, their editors on the on the call, their PR team and sales, and they all read the proposal and all responded uh, very genuinely with compassion and even teary-eyed that it, I just knew I was at home with the right people. Like they, they said something very important to me that they're not in the business of buying books, but they're in the business of forming lifelong partnerships with authors, basically. Like they, they want the author. They don't want that book. It's not a one, one and done, done, done deal. So I feel good with this team because I feel like this is my team. It's not that I feel like it. They are my team. I already had my first editorial meeting. Great team. And the book is going to be a combination of, um, you'll have my arc in there in terms of my, some of my origins. It's not my full memoir. We'll, we'll do a memoir in a year, few years from now, but this will be like a mini memoir leading up to my arc of eating plant-based. But the book itself is a combination of a guide and education and also a cookbook. And so it, it hits on a lot of stuff without me going into it too much, but it's very intersectional. And I just can't wait to bring this beautiful manuscript to you guys. And it'll be here 12 to 15 months from now. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. Amazing. Well, huge congratulations because I know Thank what you. an achievement it is to get to a publisher, let alone be <laughs> seeing to get uh, acknowledgement from a publisher, so, and especially from all five, which is which is fantastic. So, real hats off to you. And I'm really looking forward and excited to to write about it and obviously you know, tell everyone about it as soon as it's out. So, that's really, really great news. Moving on a bit more to your physical kind of philosophies in life, you know, I know that you get up pretty early and train and swim and bike, and it sounds like you have a dream schedule <laughs> when you look at it from the outside. But like, how do you prepare yourself mentally to to sort of keep that going? Because I know from my own personal life, I work so hard, I work many many hours, and I really struggle to to exercise. I really find it hard to find the mental kind of fortitude to actually push myself to exercise. You've got any advice for people out there who are working too much and and as you've already said, like good, you know, moving your body is is the best way to create that physical change and that resilience that you want. But how do you get there? How do you get to the treadmill? I gotta it's gonna sound very cliche and corny, but like and I don't by any means support this brand as being a very ethical brand, but 
like Nike said, just do it. <laughs> I, I, I just got to be honest, man. You just got to get up and, and move. And, and once you do something consistently over and over again, you are training yourself into a habit, which is going to become a good habit uh, specifically. And I got to tell you, the reward from running, I, like I, I love running. I haven't been lifting weights at all the last five six months because I'm dealing with two minor slap tears, one in my right shoulder, my left shoulder. So taking a little bit easy on that. Uh, but I got to tell you though, man, cardiovascular in general, anyone that knows me knows, uh, you know, my background in triathlons and endurance sports, that's where it's at. It just takes you into a whole, it's almost like meditating to me, uh, instead of finding your vice to be impaired that, and also doing breath work, it's two of the most beautiful things you can include in your daily scheduling. You know, meditating, breath work, and running. Mm. I recommend that for everyone. What does breath work look like? What is the Yeah. Breath work is a form of meditation. You're you're basically sitting still in a very quiet room or maybe it's on your, your patio or in your backyard where you don't have any distractions and you just dial into the universe. You just don't have any foam or nothing near you and you just inhale deeply exhale and you you can do that anywhere from 10 to 30 minutes but you really just focus on your breathing and it's going to take you into a world some people describe it as spiritual or or some people describe it as their own personal zen but you're going to feel like you're in a peaceful sanctuary in the physical form but it, it really kind of like realigns and resets you and really gives you a peace a sense of peace, at least for me. If you truly let your guard down and you truly do all you can to really connect in that breath work itself. Moving forward now onto bigger issues, which encompass all of us and sometimes feel like they swallow us. And you and I have talked about this a lot, uh, is racism. It's endemic in our societies across the world. Some areas, some parts of the world, it's, it's systemic. Other areas, it's not a systemic, but it's still a problem across the whole planet for many people of color. You know, the vegan community is a global community of people made up of many different colors and ethnicities and cultures. And it is, you know, like any other community of people, it's not immune to racism. What are some of the ways in which, you know, you believe that we can, as a vegan advocates, act in a, in a you know, a total liberation, and as EA calls it, total liberation, where we can, you know, we can, yes, of course, we can focus on the freedom of animals. And as vegan advocates, it's important that that's our focus, because that's what we've chosen to focus on. But we cannot forget about human injustices when we do our animal advocacy. What's some of your advice in, in ways in which we can work to stamp out racism? Yeah, racism, just like people that continue to eat meat people are just biased in some of their own biases and and just wired to view other humans as either less than them or not we can continue to educate but we have to some of us just have to under come to terms just like with some of us that are fighting for animals not everyone's going to change again in a perfect world if we can get people to change and really listen to us when it comes to good things not not a uniform society but that's what makes society and the humanity itself very beautiful is the diversity, is the fact that we all are very different in many macro and micro capacities. And when it comes to racism, it's going to be forever there. And there's going to be deniers that feel like that's not there because they're not experiencing it themselves. But we just got to continue to put in the work, those of us that care a lot, shifting 
and and conditioning our communities to be aware of these biases so we can be more productive and healthy as a culture and the community itself, especially in the vegan world. Because we do have a lot of vegans that simply dismiss racism being real and it, and it, and it's very real uh even may, maybe not all the time being very direct real to them but it's a lot of indirect microaggressions and and more from you, you can just look at somebody's board on a company or even their executive leadership or even their work staff and see that they may not have even been aware of it that's just like a diversity training thing that needs to happen like why are you continuing to hire the same people without really reaching out and hiring candidates that are more come from different cultures and background that just going to do nothing but enhance your mission statement, your company, and make it a beautiful, productive work environment specifically. Because you want to have inclusivity. You want to have different cultures with different opinions down to people with different sexualities. So I think that's a beautiful thing. Diversity is a beautiful thing. You should always want to have diversities, not only within your friend circle, but at your work environment too. So earlier this week, uh, I saw a video on Sean King's Instagram. <coughs> Sean King is a social justice advocate who talks a lot about the injustices of what's going on in America with regards to African-American people and the horrors that that are being endured there. One video he shared this week was a young white American girl, probably very young, I mean, can't even think, 11, 12 years old, saying the most horrific things about a beautiful young black African-American student at her school, you know, telling her to kill herself, just some of the worst things, using the N-word over and over and over again. My question is, is that, you know, that kind of behavior is clearly learnt from someone. People at home are speaking like that. She's picking up that from her family. She's picking up those attitudes either from her peers or from her family. And, you know, I often ask myself, you know, is this kind of behavior, I couldn't even imagine myself ever thinking or behaving in that way. Do you think that be this type of behavior, you know, is learned or do you think that some people are just evil? <laughs> <laughs> do you think like there's an evil in people from birth or do you think that evil is just something that the evil behavior is just something that people learn because of trauma because of their lives or do, do you yeah generally do you believe it's innate in humans i think it's both i think it's a learned behavior and i think some human beings are just wired to be evil and wired to be drawn to chaos uh you could look at the former president of the u.s he was a true definition of a narcissist in terms of if the media or anyone wasn't talking about him, he had to do something like a, a clickable type of thumbnail thing with people too. When it comes to videos, he had to do something to really warrant him to grab a headline. Some people are just rooted for in that way to want attention um, in terms of that uh, young, young lady that uh, produced that video that I seen that video and that video, um, was one of the most sad, saddest things I've ever seen in recent years. Um, she was so aggressive and and so hurtful with trying to bully her, the other young girl that goes to the same school she is. You can just feel it. it just it, it just was so terrible. Um, not only for the girl that was being bullied, but this young lady that just more than likely ruined her life uh, with that because the internet is forever. You know, it, it really is. And we, we live in an age where people simply, yeah, they, people do forget things with stuff like that, but there, some stuff that will come back to haunt you in some way, there's no winners involved in that. And 
it's just sad. It really is. And she's now famous because of that. As she's a child, do you think as a child, can she be held accountable for her actions? Yeah. You know, without me knowing her real age, because for all we know, she could be 13, 14, 15. I, I, I don't know her real age uh, specifically, uh, but there definitely needs to be some, um, well, I feel needs to be some type of consequences involved uh, with that. And definitely some education needs to be involved. I just hope they get that little girl some help and her family too. If she is taking some of this behavior or learning some of this behavior from what's happening in the, in the household, I think that whole family dynamic maybe need to be looked at. You know, They do need to get involved and look at this the family to see where's this behavior being learned from specifically. Now, like I said earlier, people, there are just some people evil without a doubt, but racism and hate, like true hate in the form of the way she was speaking and what she was speaking about, that is learned. Calling people the N-word is a learned word. I mean, that's this doesn't come in your, your brain to call anybody the N-word just randomly like that. You know, sure, you can be hated and evil and wired in that capacity, but to learn these words and to talk about somebody's color specifically or their skin is definitely a learned behavior. That That's that's factual. That's science. So they need to look at the family dynamic on that for sure. Do you think, do you think you know, <clears throat> compassion being a, a kind of opposing force to hate in many ways do you think that it can be unlearned? Do you think people like that, and I'm sure you've experienced a lot of racism in your life. Do you think those people that have been racist towards you, do you think they are redeemable as people? Do you think that that, that people can change? I, I do think people can change uh, if they truly want to change. Look, I changed um, compared to what I used to be and what I used to do for a living that landed me in prison. So I, I do think people can change. And I think and I think it's okay to forgive people. Some people are not forgiving. I think it's okay to forgive people. But there are some people that is wired to be evil even if they change for temporarily, they might be doing some other type of microforms of aggression and more. I've seen the comments on that post and it, it, it's sad because as a child, you know, as a child, you don't want the worst for this woman, uh, this young lady. To, you know, I don't want this because you don't want her to hurt herself because she's now being bullied. She started bullying and now she's she's receiving some probably incredible forms of hate. And no one wins in that situation. You know what I mean? Because we're talking about children. We're not talking about adults. Um, and I'm not justifying and and selling saying people should forgive her. But children, you know, they they do stupid shit. At the end of the day, Robbie, you know, they they do they do stupid shit. And I just hope everyone can learn from that experience. And I hope that community can heal over there in, mm. in Minnesota. That happened in Minnesota. That's the thing. As a child, are we truly aware of the consequences of our words and our actions? Because as adults, we live many more experiences and we understand consequences because obviously we often have them inflicted upon us. You talked about the consequences of the crimes that you committed. Your consequence was prison, which changed you as a person, was probably deeply traumatic, but you came out the other side a better and a stronger person. And I think that that's the difference between good and evil for me is that people can do evil things, but when they realize the true impact of that act i think that all people are redeemable i think that they are they can turn things around obviously we can get into the weeds about psych psychotherapy the psychotic nature of the human mind because obviously you know the human mind can become psychotic can become psychopathic where emotion and altruism and compassion and empathy 
don't exist that I have this theory and I don't know how true this is that the brain is equipped with what are called mirror neurons and mirror neurons are the way in which we see each other and we experience each other's pain and trauma and also joy as well when you see someone laughing you laugh when you see someone yawn you yawn when you see a child fall in the, in the street and, and, and crack their knee and they're bleeding you feel something that's because of your mirror neurons in your brain you have that empathy that's what builds empathy but psych psychopathic people or psycho psychos as we might like to call them they have probably have very low levels of neuro micro, uh, mirror neurons they don't feel they don't feel empathy so it's their nature it's a bit like that old um saying about I don't know if you know about the, the wolf and the scorpion going across the river. The wolf is traveling across the river with this terrible river that's raging and the Scorpio stings the wolf. And the wolf is like choking saying, why did you sting me? We're both going to die. And the scorpion said, I'm sorry, it's just my nature. And you know, and that is one of the stories I was told as a child that there are really evil people in this world and sometimes it's just their nature. They cannot help themselves. I'm not saying it's making an excuse for their behavior, but to me, that compassionate, empathetic human mind, there is an opposite to that, which is a very uncompassionate, psychopathic mind. And these minds do exist in the minds of children or adults or whoever. And some of those people are not redeemable. They do need to be <laughs> controlled or put in, a, put in a safe house. Who knows? But I think I truly believe, and I don't know how you feel, yeah. that you know, goodness <clears throat> exists within human beings there, by default. There's definitely some humans that should be saved and should be received some form of outreach and we should work with to help unpack things look what we did during the black lives matter movie we helped a lot of peers family loved ones friends co-workers and and more uh, indirectly and directly do a lot of unpacking about uh, racism and and the societies we live in that's rooted in white supremacy but Going back to behavior, you were, there there are people wired simply to be evil. And we don't know, though, what that human being will become. The, the brain of a child is so vulnerable and it's receiving a lot of information. And, and, and you don't know what direction it may go into specifically. And that's the problem until, they're, until you know when they're a young adult that that's probably a, a person that just wired to be truly evil. So it's a very sensitive and very complex topic, uh, specifically dealing with children and, and bullying in general, in general, man, it's again, like I told you earlier with the social media, it's challenging to be a child coming up in this society where you can get bullied and what happened just happened to that little girl being bullied by a two other girls and now this these two girls are being bullied by a mob of adults no one wins in that situation it's just a terrible situation regardless um, it is it, it's it's sad um, for real it really is it is but and i truly believe that through compassion and forgiveness you know we can transform any poison into medicine as the buddhists say you know we have the ability to turn darkness into light we do but it does require that compassion and I often use this uh, expression that in Buddhism, we have an expression which says, you know, we, in life, we need to have a strong back and a soft front because we need a strong back to stand up to the harshness and the toughness of life here on earth. But we also need a soft front to be able to welcome and embrace others and to forgive as well. And it's really beautiful that you mentioned forgiveness because I think that when we hold on to anger and we hold on to the, the desire for revenge, it really twists us as people. It makes us, you know, it makes us angry and misanthropic and it's not a life 
anyone. You cannot experience joy and, and peace and oneness if you live a life filled with anger and resentment. But to bring everything full circle and you know to what brought us together really is is veganism, which is is a movement for compassion. You know, it could be and needs to be more inclusive. It absolutely does, and it is a work in progress, as you said. But you know, what's your vision of the future? Like, where do you see? the movement going and do you, do you feel like we're heading in the right direction? I think the community will continue to grow. I think uh, we will continue to see more people adopt some form of plant-based diet. There's different definitions of plant-based diets, but I do see more people reducing their meat consumption, even more public figures doing that. And the more public figures do that, the more influences they have on their fans and their community. We do s- sadly live in a very celebrity driven culture of the world where we do need some of these public figures to be more direct about it. But I think what I'm seeing in terms of the movement and the community is continuing to progress. Sure. You you want this to be a sprint because it needs to be a sprint due to what's happening to the environment. But this is a ultra race. It's not even a marathon. This is an ultra marathon that we are in and that we're probably only in mile like two right now. But Mal too is a very big leap in comparison to where we've been historically with society relying on traditionally to continue to consume dead muscle flesh that we identify as food. The sooner we get more people realize meat is not food in itself. It's just uh, what it is, uh, a dead carcass and a rotten flesh. And we start trying to educate more people about our physical attributes and how we truly are not natural born killers, apex predators. You and I cannot eat something that's alive with a heart beating, uh, with its tendons. We cannot digest it. We just are not engineered by uh, natural selection to be consuming meat. And the sooner we are able to get this education out there, I think more people will continue to identify with eating plant-based. But the good news is we're we're making the community fun. The community's People are not looking at us as granola people anymore. <laughs> uh, you know, they're, they're like, these are rock stars. These are cool people. They're dope. I, I think I listen to Robbie. I think I listen to Dom. This is kind of cool. Oh, man. They can lift weights. They can run. They can even be cool and have a drink. Like, you got a lot of different forms of vegans out there. Not every, you know, I think that's the beautiful thing because now more people are seeing different types of vegan. They're yeah. not seeing the ones that they think are just only eating. Uh, Buddha bowls in Bali, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, or mung beans in uh, in Massachusetts. <laughs> exactly, they may run into a, a guy's guy like myself that's waiting on his flight, drinking a hard cider or a beer, or having some tequila, eating a, eating a vegan burger uh, right there at the bar with him, you know, or whatever the case may be, and that makes people feel more connected and and, and it humanizes it in a lot of capacities. Before I let you go, I always like to ask my guests this one final question. If you were stuck on a desert island and it was just you and a pig, you know what's coming next. Obviously, you're not going to eat the pig, but if I could give you one vegan dish, one music album, and one book, what would you take with you on your desert island? <laughs> one vegan dish, one one album, and what, what was it? Uh, one th- book. Th- one book. Wow. Yeah, Robbie, yeah, yes, and that's, that's a really good question, man. That's a, a One vegan dish would probably be I'm a sucker for hand cut fries, and it's not even. I mean, I think I, give me a hand cut fries, man. I, I'm I'm a, I'm a potato guy, and 
yeah, it's not what you're thinking as far as a dish. If we if we want to drill down like an actual dish, I would say like a deep dish, Chicago style vegan pizza, without a doubt. You know, if it's just like a, I just love handcuffed potatoes with sea salt. In terms of a um, a book, there's a lot of incredible books out there. Um, I simply don't really have a true answer for that, Robbie, because uh, I've read a lot of incredible books. So I'm going to just be honest with you because I'm probably not going to be reading a book. I'm going to be spending time with the pig. What's um, the last one that really touched you that you remember? If I can take some of the letters that I wrote in prison going to people out in the world, if I could take that box of letters and just to reread where my state of mind was, I would read that. And that's a lot of letters. I actually have some of those letters and maybe one day I will share them with the world. But yeah, if I can just reread where I was at because I was vulnerable. I was I was in an unknown place. If I could just talk to my younger self, that's where I was at uh, when I was writing those letters. And music-wise, that's what you asked for, music too as well. Again, it's a lot of great music out there. God, it's a lot of great music out there. But, man, you, you put me in a hard spot with the music uh, <laughs> as well. I love some Prince. I can listen to C- Prince Greatest Hits. Good purple choice, Rain Mr. to Kiss Everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah pur- they got the pur- purple going on in the background. Mr. Dominic Thompson, thank you so much for joining <clears throat> us on the PBN podcast. Thank you so much for those of you that are tuning in, taking the time to listen to me and Robbie. And, and Robbie, thank you again for allowing me to come on you guys' platform. I truly appreciate it. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for joining us, everyone. This has been the PBN podcast. I'm your host, Robbie Lockie, and we'll be back next week with more veganism, food, fashion, animals, environment, and everything in between.